My name is EJ. I'm one of the ministers here. I'm glad to be with you guys today. Um, some of you guys I know I'm very familiar with. Some of you guys, this may be your first time and uh, hearing from me. Uh, one thing that I want you to know, uh, I know we have kids in the building. Go ahead, just like David said, disarm that. Uh, I used to be a kid's pastor, so I've learned to preach through uh, snotty noses, farts, and all those great things. So uh, just go ahead and do your thing, okay? Do not worry about me. I'm going to preach the word, amen? Um, I want to just start by leading us in prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Um, Father, I thank you for every single person that is here that walked through the doors. I thank you, Lord, that it is not by coincidence, it's, it's not by chance, but you have divinely placed them in this building or online right now for this moment to receive a word from you. May I decrease and you increase. Your presence, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Usually when we hear sermons or read the Bible, we hear about people like Moses, uh, Esther, Daniel, David, Paul, and even Jesus. I would hope so. Um, and, uh, but how often do you hear about Haggai? I heard some people like, who? <laughs> And so today I'm going to be bringing a, a message to highlight the book of Haggai because when we go back and we dive in, we'll understand how relatable that is for us today as believers. Now, you may be wondering, who is Haggai? Haggai is a minor prophet. Uh, it's not that he's less than or he's short like me. Like, it's not, it's not that. Uh, there are minor and major prophets, and it's because of the writings of their book. And so we separate that. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they have longer books, so they are called major prophets. And so uh, Haggai is a minor prophet to the tribe of Judah that has just been in 70 years of exile, and they're coming back into the land to rebuild the temple. Now, some of you guys are like, who is Judah? Why were they in exile? And why are they building a temple? Don't worry, your boy got you, all right? So I'm gonna use this handy dandy timeline. Shout out to my Blue's Clues lovers. I'm not one of them. Um, and so in 931 BC, there are 12 tribes of Israel and they split. You guys may be familiar with these tribes, uh, the Exodus, Moses, the Israelites, 40 years in the wilderness, these tribes. So there are 12 tribes of Israel and in 931 BC, they split because of difference in kings. I'm not gonna go and dive down into the, the history of all that. But 10 tribes, they go to the north and they become the northern kingdom. Everyone say northern kingdom. Two of the tribes, Benjamin and Judah, they go to the south and become the southern kingdom. And so what happens is for roughly 201 years, the northern kingdom is a kingdom, is a nation. But eventually, they, can, they get overtaken by the Assyrians because of their continued disobedience, rejection to God, and idol worship. And so in 722 BC, the Assyrians overtake Israel, and this is known as the Assyrian Dispersion. Now, Judah, their cousins to the south, they saw them in their disobedience and everything they were doing, and they lasted a little bit longer, maybe roughly about 350 years. And in 605 BC, the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, overtake Judah, and this is known as the Babylonian captivity, okay? 
So the Judah is now in exile for 70 years, and in 539 BC, Persia overtakes Babylonian, they rise to empire to the, to the strength, and King Cyrus of Persia issues a decree to say, hey, Jewish people, you guys go back into your land and rebuild the temple. Now, the Jewish people that were living in the land, they went in three waves back to the promised land. And, and so the first wave, they're led by a governor called Zerubbabel, the second wave, they're led by a priest called Ezra. And the third wave, they are led by Nehemiah. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Nehemiah. And so where we pick up with Haggai is in that first wave after the people have come back into the land, they begin to rebuild the temple. And this is where Haggai picks up in the story. Now, let me say this. As we continue to read, we're going to understand that throughout the course of history, the Jewish, the Israelites, they had continued to be disobedient, reject God in idol worship. But at the end of the day, God still remained faithful and loved them. And this leads me to my, my big idea, and that is obedience to God should always be our number one priority. We're going to pick up in Haggai 1. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Clearly, they don't live in Texas. Your wages disappear as though you... <laughs> as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Now, let me give you some more backdrop. To truly understand Haggai, you need to go to the book of Ezra, okay? And Ezra highlights a lot of this process, really most of the process. And so in, in Ezra 3 and 4, the, the people are back in the land. They're rebuilding the temple. There are people that are already in the land. And as the Jewish people come into the land, they're like, hey, we want to help you rebuild the temple. Ezra's like, nah, bro, you guys aren't worshiping the same God that I worship, so we don't want your help. Well, those people make it hard on them to rebuild the temple. And so for 16 plus years, the people become spiritually apathetic and they stop building the temple. They didn't want the persecution because what happens is the people in the land went to King Artaxerxes and they said, hey, if you look back in the records of these people, when they begin to build, they, they go against what the king is telling them to do. They'll be rebellious. And so King Artaxerxes says, hey, I'm going to issue a decree that you can no longer rebuild the temple. So the people get discouraged. And in Ezra 5 is where Haggai enters the story and speaks to the people and lets them know, hey, you guys need to rebuild the temple because God told you to rebuild the temple. This leads me to my first point. It is important that no matter the circumstances, 
Our service, we should serve God despite our feelings. Despite our feelings. An interesting nugget. The people needed the temple to serve God because over 50% of the Mosaic laws, they needed the temple. This is where the atoning of their sins took place. This is where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to meet with God. And so instead of being obedient to God and saying, God, I care more about worshiping you than the persecution that I'm facing, they chose to focus on themselves, rebuild their houses, put all of their time and resources in building their own kingdoms instead of God's. Truthfully, what it came down to is their priorities. And I think specifically in the Western culture, our priorities can get very twisted on our service to God because maybe we don't feel like doing it. How, how real is that for you? Maybe you've invested a lot in a relationship with no return. You've built up your 401k, but still it crashes, right? You've put all your stock in your job, in, in your wealth, in the houses, in the real estate. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you can't take any of that with you. We have to build a kingdom that lasts. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But if God is not the number one priority, those things will become just like what verse six highlighted. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. We must understand that our feelings, whether we want to serve God or not, whether our circumstances are good or not, we must continue to serve him because our feelings are fickle. The past 10 days have been 100 degrees and everyone's felt hot. You come in the building and you feel a little cooler. Your feelings change. One second you like this person that you're with and the next second you don't. <laughs> feelings change, but God remains the same. Just recently, the Oklahoma women's softball team, they won, they three-peated as national champions. They had a 61-1 record. They were sitting at the, um, maybe you guys have seen this picture. Uh, they were sitting and they were being interviewed by reporters and an ESPN reporter said, hey, how do you remain with so much joy in the midst of an anxious moment and so much pressure on you? And I love what their team captain, Grace Lyons, said. She said, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. Amen. Any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. God-given joy isn't dependent on on-field success. Joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated and in a good mindset no matter the outcomes. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We cannot allow the circumstances of life to dictate whether or not we want to serve God. He remains the same. 
I remember when I first got saved, man, it was, it was like my first year. I was like, God, you're so amazing. I just love you so much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. And about a year later, something happened in my life, and I felt discouraged. And I said, God, where are you at? I don't feel you. And I'll never forget this whisper. EJ, what does my word say? It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But do we believe that? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. But we have to be built on his word to build our faith up. One thing, if you've been around me a lot, that I will always say, and when I was going through a lot of loss in my family over the last year and everything, someone was like, EJ, how are you getting through this with losing so many people in your life? And I said, no matter the circumstances, the mission doesn't change. It doesn't change. I am here to serve God. I was created for God, by God, to love him. And anyone else or anything else I put in his place is always going to be like putting change with empty pockets, with, with cut pockets. It's going to fall out. It's never going to complete me. We've bought into the lie that people or things complete us. But we were made, it, we were made by God for him, to love him. And that's why we can do all these great things and we still feel like there's got to be something more. We're going to pick up in chapter 2. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you up in chapter 2 of Haggai. There's only two chapters for those who don't know, okay? So there's no excuse for you not to go back and read this. In chapter 2, basically, Haggai comes in. He tells the people what I just read. They repent. They start building the temple. They build, rebuild the temple. And about 515 B.C. is when they're done. They're looking at the temple and they're kind of discouraged because they're like, yo, this temple doesn't look as good as the temple before. God comes into the picture and he says, hey, do you remember what you guys have done? What you've been through, but also where I'm taking you. And so in Haggai 2.14, it says, then Haggai responded, that is how it is with this, this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offered is defiled by their sin. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hell to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. I will bless you. And this leads to my next point, that no matter what, we should serve God despite our failures. Despite our failures. You see, Judah had many failures. God sent them prophets to warn them that, look, you know your cousins up in the north, they got overtaken. Y'all are on the way. 
but yet they continue to reject God and serve their own kingdom. But let's think about this for us. How many times have you failed again and again and again and again? And you've gotten to a place where, God, I don't even know if I can serve you anymore because I just can't seem to get it right. Well, there's good news, family. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. You see, the enemy wants to make you believe that because you failed, there's no redemption. And it's simply not true. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. So today, be free. Be free. I know you had that thought like, hey, if they knew what I did last night, I shouldn't be in church. Now, was that okay? No. But God forgives you. You are free. You are no longer condemned. And it's easy as I speak about uh, having grace and empathy for yourself to look at other people and say, man, we shouldn't be so hard on them. But family, church, Christians, we need to keep that same energy when it comes to the church. There have been many leaders that have failed, many churches that have hurt people, but they deserve the same grace and empathy because Christ died for them too. Think about it. If you have one bad burger from Whataburger, are you going to stop going to Whataburger? Unfortunately, you're not because you're in Texas. <laughs> in and out, baby. <laughs> you see, failure is a part of humanity. That's why y'all love Whataburger so much. But, um, and we can see that. We can see that we are going to continue to fail as people. We can look all throughout the biblical narrative and see that people have failed. But at the end of the day, it doesn't have the final word. Jesus does. Now, as I'm talking about grace and you being free, there's also another side to that coin. And this leads me to my third point, that no matter what, we should serve God despite our freedoms. Yeah. In verse 20, it says, on that same day, December 18, the Lord sent the second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you, I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. When, when, when a king would give someone a signet ring, it means that you could act in the same power as the king on their behalf. 
And so what, what, what Haggai and what ultimately God is trying to say is that I'm going to be with you as a people. You are my chosen people. And no matter what you do, I will remain with you. But even in knowing that, and even to know that everything that God delivered them from, the people, if you keep reading in Malachi, they eventually get to a place where they get bored with God and they still care more about their pleasures than worshiping God. They start using the temple as a way to almost be like an ATM machine. Whenever they want God, they'll go be redeemed by God. But other than that, I'm going to put you on the shelf. And I love what Dr. Tony Evans said in the commentary of Malachi. He said, for Judah, God becomes like a spare tire, someone to turn to when circumstances go flat. When he bails them out, they put him back in the spiritual trunk. I know that hit a lot of us. I'm guilty of it. Back in 2009, when I was in this process of God pursuing me, you've heard me say before, I didn't grow up in church, and uh, I was at Missouri State University, and uh, actually my homie Mark is sitting right over here. He knows me before I met Jesus, so if you want any stories, don't go ask him. Um, but I was at Missouri State University, and um, me and my, a couple of my friends, we, because there are kids in the building, I'm going to be mindful of that, we consumed something we shouldn't have been consuming, Okay. And so after we consumed that, I was having problems breathing. I was, I was literally, like, I was hyperventilating. I couldn't breathe. So I go outside, and I'm like, man, maybe I can get some fresh air. And I still couldn't breathe. So I called my homie Mark. I said, Mark, I think I'm about to die, bro. Seriously. He comes over to the house. I'm in my room. I'm, I remember being on all fours, just like laying there like, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, I don't want to die. I promise you I will stop doing this thing if you save me. Who's prayed that prayer before? <laughs> she said too many times. <laughs> and so I remember I'm laying there and I said, God, please don't take my life. Please don't take my life. And I'm laying on the bed and I'm telling Mark, I said, bro, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. And I remember still vividly to this day, I hearing Mark's voice. He was sitting over in the corner by my uh, closet and he was like, EJ, don't say that. You're not going to die. And I said, no, Mark, tell my mom, my dad, I love him. I really believe I'm about to die. So I lay on the bed and as I'm laying on the bed, I'm fighting. I feel like I'm fighting for my life. I feel my body sinking in. And all of a sudden, it was like God said, into my lungs. And I began to breathe again. And my heart was normal. And that whole night, I cried. I didn't know what that meant for me because I didn't have a relationship with God yet, but I knew that God had did something. But just like many of us, about a month later, I'm hanging out with some more of my friends, and I consume that same thing. And I'm hanging out with my friends. I go into my friend's room. Something told me to go to the closet. I open up the closet. There's a Bible on the floor. I don't know why I did this in the state that I was in, but I opened up the Bible, and the first scripture that stuck out to me said, the wages of sin is death. And I knew in that moment... I can no longer do this. 
because God had a bigger plan for me. You see, oftentimes, because we have the blessing of God and God is on our life, we think that we can just do whatever we want to do. But that's simply not biblical. <laughs> Romans 6, Paul is talking to the Christians in Rome, and he says, So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country. It's so easy to think that we can get in those waters in a moment and continue living the way that we once lived. But family, we must understand that we are new creations in Christ. If I were to go to a graveyard right now, dig up a dead body, walk in this building with a dead body on my back, you guys would be, some of y'all would be video recording me, uh, some of you guys would be calling the cops, some of you guys would be like, yo, get this man off the stage because it looks crazy. That's how some of us look walking in our old life today. And we wonder why our path is so heavy. It's because we have our dead body on our back. And so we're walking with God and we're coming down and we're like, man, I just can't take it anymore. Well, you got a dead body on your back. You're still trying to live like the old you, but that old you is gone. Be free. I remember when I was transferring out of Missouri State and uh, after I got saved, I was like, yo, I can't live here anymore. I can't be a part of this school. I need to transfer. I need to get away from all my friends, all those things. And as I'm driving on my way home to Atlanta, I remember I said, I'm not going to look in the rear view mirror because I don't want to look back at the old life that I once lived. So the whole way, 12 hours to Atlanta from Springfield, Missouri, I did not look in my rear view mirror as a symbol of I'm not going back. Some of you guys need to stop looking the rear view, rear view mirror of your lives because it's not better than what God has for you. That's why it's so important to understand when you come into relationship with Jesus, he's Lord and Savior. If I'm drowning in the ocean, I don't care who saves me. But now, is he Lord of your life? He's able to lead you in the way that he's called you. That's what we have to continue to ask ourselves. I've highlighted three obstacles that can prevent us from making God our, non, our number one priority in our life. Our feelings, our failures, and our freedoms. 
And I would be remiss to not give you some practical things that you can do to leave here with because I don't want you to just hear this message today and just keep it pushing throughout the week. We need to apply the word of God to our lives. So the first thing that we can do is we can get help processing our feelings. We just got out of a mental health series and Rick talked uh, very avidly about counseling. Guys, it is okay. Get a counselor. Allow them to help you process the things that you are going through and give you answers and create space for God to speak through them. We can go to the word of God. You guys know this, but how often do you do it? Right? When people are going through something, they come to me and they talk to me and say, I say, what word are you standing on? Do you have a scripture that you're standing on when you're going through hard times in life? My psalm is Psalm 34. Me and Rachel, we were broke, getting lights cut off, all these things. And I remember going to our living room every single day, uh, praying Psalm 34, God, you are, I will praise you at all times. Your praises will continually be on my lips. All times, the good, the bad, the indifferent. What word are you standing on? One of my homies, Keontae, that's here today, he started a gratitude journal. And he said it's been changing his life because he's able to see what God has done, what he's doing, and what he will do. So write out what God has done in your life so that when you're going through those hard times, you can go back and see what he's already done. And lastly, prayer. I know some of us think that prayer is just coming and saying, God, here's all my problems. But that's not prayer. Prayer is, God, you already know what I need because you know me and you've created me. You've seen it. I'm going to tell you what's going on and you want to listen. But ultimately, we have to posture our hearts to listen to what he wants to say to that. The second thing we can do is get in community. Get in community. It is not enough to just come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. We'll be in community for many other things in our life and then we wonder, God, why are we not growing in our faith? We go to CrossFit, we go to happy hour, we'll go to uh, soccer games, we'll do all those things and we have community. But here's the thing, Christian church community helps us direct us into the things of God for our life. And so we need to be in community. The third and last is get some accountability. Get some accountability. This to me is one of the most important things a believer can do. I always ask people, are you being discipled and are you discipling someone? Because what that does is it creates guardrails as you walk in your walk and you walk with God. See, if I'm being discipled and someone is mentoring me and, and being able to see into my life in areas that I've been hiding from people, they're able to speak truth in those areas and help refine us into the things that God has called us to. But a lot of times we don't want that because here's the thing, we don't like to be vulnerable with people. But I ask people like, hey, if I was to get on an operating table and the doctor's like, yo, I'm doing heart surgery and I got three uh, hoodies on, do you think they can do heart surgery? No, they gotta take your shirts off so that they can get down to the heart. 
And we need discipleship. But also, as you are being discipled, as you are coming into church and being, uh, you know, getting filled up with words of truth, you have to be investing that into the next generation and the next people as a downline. I know for me, when I was single and, and I was uh, still following, I was following the Lord and all these things, I remember there were moments of weakness where I wanted to fall to temptation, but I thought about the young guys that God was going to send me, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that because this person is going to know that they can overcome this by the blood of the Lamb. And so we must be discipled and discipling someone. My evangelism team and I, we created a, a six-week pathway to growth. It's one-on-one discipleship where we have a mentor and a mentee, and they're walking with you to show you what it means to walk with Jesus. And so if you want to be a mentor, maybe you've been walking with God for a while, and you feel like you have something to give that God has placed in you, I want you to email growth at thehills.org. We want to have people discipling those who have just been baptized into Christ. But also, if you've been baptized and you've never been discipled, how do you expect to grow? When my baby girl comes out, can she feed herself? Can she wipe her diaper? Well, I guess her booty, but not her diaper. (laughs) Can she even put herself to sleep as an infant? No. That is what having someone in your life to take care of you, to point you to God, to point you to God's word can do. And so I wanna encourage you to do that. Now, I wrestled with sharing this story because it happened this week, but I'm going to. Because I want you guys to know, even as pastors, we're not perfect. We're people, we make mistakes. So on Wednesday, as I'm preparing for this message, I'm spending time with God. And I'm praying and I'm sitting uh, in my office at, at one of my chairs. And I hear God so clearly in a small, still voice say, EJ, I want you to fast for the next three days. And to be honest, I was like, God, are you sure? That's not you. That, came, that, that was my flesh. <laughs> so the next day, so that night I go home. And I'm like, man, I'm hungry. Guess what I did? Eight. I said, okay. I'm gonna try again tomorrow. I still got three days. So Thursday goes around. I'm spending time with God. It gets about eight o'clock at night, and I'm hungry. I went in the kitchen and ate. It's like, man, I just want to get over this. The next day comes around. It's Friday, and. Uh, I'm all day just, you know, I'm good. I'm praying, spending time with God, all these great things. Gets about 8 o'clock. I said, "Uh, hey, babe, you want to go out to dinner? (laughs) You see, even though I failed, it wasn't a failure. Because despite my failures, I was still fasting. I was still spending time with God. He still extended grace and mercy, but yet I literally just walked out this sermon this week. And I had freedoms to never fast after I broke the fast. But I said, God, I'm going to give you my best. 
And maybe you're here today and you're just like, God, all I got is my best. I want you to know that God will meet you in your best. If you guys could please stand. Maybe you're here today and uh, you've been allowing your feelings to dictate your walk with God. I want to invite you into a space as we have our elders, shepherds, and prayer partners. If you just need some little encouragement to walk along that path, we have people here that are ready to pray for you. Maybe it's your failures. Maybe you just feel like, hey, I just can't get it. I keep trying and I keep falling on my face. I keep trying and I keep falling on my face. I want you to know God sees you, he loves you, he desires you, and he's with you. Or maybe you've been struggling with walking in too much freedom. <laughs> and there's some things that you maybe need to pull back to align with what God is wanting to do in your life. I want to invite you to come receive prayer and have people, men and women of God, encourage you on this journey. Today, maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe this is your first time in church. I want you to know the greatest decision you could ever make is a decision to follow Christ. And so if you would love to encounter this Jesus that I just shared about, we want to invite you to a time of coming down and being baptized. Maybe there's some things in your life that God is still working out. Right where you're at today, you can say, God, I just repent. I'm changing the way that I think, I'm acknowledging my sin, and I'm desiring to go the opposite direction. You can do that today. If you just simply need prayer today for anything, we invite you to come down and pray. So Father, I thank you for every single person in here today. I pray, Lord, that whatever it is they needed to hear, that you spoke to them. Lord, help us to understand that who the Son has set free is free indeed. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus, so that we could put to death our old lives and experience life and life more abundantly in you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen.